Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week we are looking at the very latest development in the investment management space, superannuation. The name and shame of those funds that have underperformed, haven't delivered for their investors. Finally, they're going to be forced to face the music. Plenty to take out of this episode. Hopefully you find yourself on the right side of the ledger. Check it out right now. See you in the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Laurentiel. Hey buddy, how are you doing? Good, AB. Good to see you again. What's going on? Nice and busy? Nice and busy and uh, enduring lockdown like uh, so many people right now, actually getting used to this working from home. I'm, I'm missing you guys. Climbing, I think is the word. Well, we aren't missing you, but uh, in the essence of today's topic, while you've got plenty of time to think at home, thinking about your future is certainly one of those topics that would come to mind. In particular, today's topic of conversation, AB, is superannuation. We've just seen the report come out on your super, your future, and quite some scary statistics in there. Let's break it down. Very, very sobering reading. And this is actually a wonderful piece of new legislation that's been introduced for the benefit of everybody. Um, APRA, which is the Australian Prudential Regulatory um, Authority, their job is to oversee and manage the superannuation industry as well as the banking sector. And one of the new mandates that they have is to do an assessment of your my uh, government super, uh, your, your superannuation uh, fund, and to evaluate uh, the performance of that. And the really cool thing about the legislation now is that if you are a fund and you underperform based on the benchmarks, which I'm sure we're gonna talk about, you will be obligated to contact your members, your investors and say, we're doing an appalling job of managing your money. Uh, do you still wanna keep your money with us or would you prefer to get somebody that's reasonably competent at it? And we know just from reading the report quite recently, there's a quite a number of institutions that are unfortunately going to have to make that hard phone call or email. But parking that to the side for a second, AB, before we jump into numbers, let's talk about how that's actually structured. So your future, your super, what is it? What is my super? So my super, traditionally, my super is where your default uh, superannuations go to. So, you know, let's say you're working as a glassy uh, during the uni holidays, uh, that uh, superannuation contribution that's made by your employer uh, would go to what's called your default super, uh, which is particularly what this survey is aimed at. And this is very, very important to understand for a couple of reasons. Within the superannuation space, and this is an area we could spend you know, hours on and is one that I'd probably invite some of our financial planning team very specifically to talk to you about, you can look at on a couple of levels. There's self-managed super, which is where you effectively are the trustee and responsible for making the decisions and the management of your fund. Uh, typically, that's something that you need to have over a certain asset uh, amount to make commercially viable. Uh, then you have retail super is where you've perhaps seen a financial planner or you've shopped around and decided that you want to uh, give your superannuation money to a particular funds manager in order to manage that cash for you. And then there's the default super, which is the one if you haven't nominated somewhere where your employer by default uh, puts their superannuation contributions on your behalf. And I would suggest that on that spectrum, there's quite a, a varied, and this is why this legislation is so important, there's, there's quite a massive variation in the level of financial sophistication. Someone that's managing their own super, you'd argue probably is or certainly should be a little bit more sophisticated and savvy financially, you better manage your own money. Uh, those people in the middle in a retail super are people that have had the nows to look around and make a decision. 
And, and then at the bottom of the totem pole, I suppose, are people that are really almost oblivious to super and that, yeah, just put, put money in my super and it goes to that default super on your behalf. Uh, and these people have, I, I don't want to use the word, I feel have been you know, brutally exploited uh, by the managers of that money over a, quite a considerable period of time, which is now coming to light with this report. It's kind of like being given a, a lawyer by the government when you've been locked up for the first time. You haven't got your own, so you're given the one by default, which is kind of luck at the draw at best as to what kind of performance you're going to get. However, in this instance, AB, your, your future, your super, there's been some pretty big household names that have really come to light in the past couple of days since the addition of this report. What were the results that we saw? What, what did we actually find? So the way that this survey has been conducted, APRA have looked at 80 uh, default super funds, uh, which cover around about you know, $900 billion worth of investors' money. Uh, and out of that survey, um, 13 of the funds surveyed out of the 86 have failed uh, to be able to meet the benchmark performance criteria that they're supposed to be targeting which is a staggering statistic because you and I have actually had a look at the benchmarks for the various asset classes and they're pretty, pretty conservative to say the least. If we look at say, for example, Australian equities, which is where a lot of people's super would be invested, the eight year average return as the benchmark is just 7.88%. Um, now I know to fail as such this particular test, You've actually got to underperform that by greater than 0.5%, which means some of these funds are pulling down who have failed a maximum of around 7.3% on money. It's not a great return in what is being a record high stock market. Look, it's a dreadful return. And, 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 and let's really take a moment to quantify this too, because you know, at a headline level uh, and looking at the, uh, the, the, the way that this has been reported in the financial press, yeah, people are actually going, oh, that's actually not bad. Only 13 funds uh, have failed to meet the test. That's actually not bad. That's, that, that's quite good. And that may be an acceptable outcome for you that, oh, that's actually quite good. But let's just take a step back for a moment. Those 13 funds represent $56 billion of other people's money. And how many people are we talking about? There are 1 million members of those funds whose manager of their retirement planning has failed to get the bullseye or at least the dart in the right part of the board. Now that is staggering when you think about it. It's no 13, 13 and it doesn't sound too many funds out of a survey of 86. One million people have been disadvantaged by this so far. And this is the first round of reporting. So this is an enormous breakthrough, <clears throat> great piece of legislation in terms of why it's been brought in to take these people off the gravy train where they've literally been getting money for jam. And I'm sure there's going to be somebody that watches this or listens to this, wherever we've posted it on their social. Uh, and they're going to go, oh, it's hardly fair to tar us with that brush. The bottom line is when you manage people's money, you're entrusted to do it. And out of those funds, 1 million everyday Australians with 80, I'm sorry, $56 billion of money hasn't been stewarded properly. And if you look at just an Australian equities performance, they have failed to hit a 7.5% return on average over the last eight years. Now, the other thing that that looks into, by the way, is the actual fees that these people pay. 
And a lot of those fees are hidden because in the performance benchmark, it only looks at it only looks at the management fee. You think, oh, my super is pretty good. They don't charge a big management fee, but they don't take into account the administration fee, uh, which is not included in that particular calculation. And when you start to add those two together, you realize not only is your fund underperforming, you're also paying a lot more in fees than perhaps you thought you were. And we're also in an environment where inflation is running at 3.8% as we record this uh, podcast today. So you've got to say, well, what's your net looking like out of that? Say your fund's making 6.8%, take out 3.8 for inflation, net 3% return on your money after fees, or maybe not even after fees. Terrible figures, terrible figures. Yeah, it's just simply not worth it. And the question I have to you, AB, then is, if you are one of those 1 million people who do receive an email or a phone call from their from their super provider to say, hey, look, we underperformed. We uh, we didn't quite achieve the results we would have liked. Uh, whoopsie daisy. What are you doing in that situation to, to remedy? Because quite simply, this is no laughing matter. It's your retirement that you're talking about here. Well, as a point of note, I think you'd be the only person in your generation I've ever heard say whoopsie daisy. So well done for expanding your vernacular. Very impressive. Thank you very much. Um, what do you do if you've discovered one of the things that most likely these companies will do is like give us a chance and I, and I just read into one particular fund which was the maritime services fund uh, previously they had money with host plus and, and earlier this year they've actually taken over the management of that money themselves uh, and their CEO is going to say look you know it's going to take us some time to turn this around and you've got to ask yourself a very simple binary question. If you're faced with uh, correspondence from your super provider that says, look, you've got to give us time to turn this around. The performance figures that are being used are over the last eight years. How much longer do you need to turn things around? And the only reason it's probably being turned around right now is because it's front and center and people are finally being made aware that they've been on a graving train paying fees for average performance and because it's a default super where they haven't really had any input, in some instances, people don't even know where their super is. Um, yeah, and that's, that in itself is quite scary. Um, you know, it's just been, it's a, it's a whole area of financial markets that is in, now in the process of being cleaned up by, you know, the curtain being open and going, look how bad this is, this has to stop. And, and it poses the need for the, 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 the need as such for more financial literacy, which is what we specialize in. So. If you are one of those unlucky people, AB, how easy is it to simply grab your super and move it to maybe a more profitable one at that? Is that a simple process? It's not as complex as people would think. And, you know, as someone that's been an advocate for financial literacy for over 20 years now and really at the vanguard of this industry, educating people on how to make better financial decisions, yeah, this really strikes a chord with me. The, the, the curtain's been lifted. People can see it for what it is. And now they can be, they can be in a position to take action. But what should you do? One of the key things um, that the, um, the, the MySuper uh, product has been about doing is helping consolidate people from having superannuation all over the place. And if you've had like two or three different summer jobs with two or three different, I, I keep reverting back to it like a uni holiday because that's a, a very, very good example where you might be working casually for multiple employers over a short period of time and probably at a time in your life where thinking about retirement is so far down the line, uh, it doesn't even um, register for you. So maybe that you've got two or three or four different superannuation funds that have got little bits of money in here and there, and you think, well, that's okay, they're all there. The challenge you've got is on the fees because each one of those supers is probably, uh, or almost certainly will be paying uh, a life insurance premium for you. 
Now you think, well, I've got four lots of life insurance. That's good. No, because only one of them will pay out. So you're paying for something you're never going to get access to. So I guess step number one is to be able to consolidate all of your super into one place, which is you know, what the, my super legislation really to all intents and purposes has been designed to do. So you have a default fund where all of your other bits and pieces have been sucked in, put into that fund, and now at least they're in one place, making it a little bit easier to manage. The challenge is if your default fund is one of these underperformers, your money's been sucked into something that's just really not working that well for you, which is sort of the opposite of what this is all about. So step number one is get your super consolidated and we can certainly assist. Uh, step number two, once you've got that amount worked out, look at what your alternates are. And I do suspect that you're going to find that out of this survey, one of the bigger beneficiaries are going to be retail super funds, which is where as the investor, you can go, okay, I'd like to invest in um, XYZ's Australian Equities Fund or XYZ's um, International Equities Fund or this bond fund run by a different fund manager and you have that choice as to where you want to put that money, that is a very confronting place to be. There's a lot of paperwork that's involved with that and there's also uh, a requirement to have a basis for picking where to park your cash. And then one of the obvious things that people are going to look at is, okay, well, what's the performance of that fund? Understand past performance is no guarantee of future performance. Maybe it might be for 13 of the companies that have failed the, the APRA survey. But the bottom line is past performance, no guarantee of future performance. So you don't want to just base it on a very short time frame. You need to match uh, the asset class that you're investing in with your risk appetite. And it's very, very easy to sort of go off piste and chase returns that, that are just not suitable for you. And, and, and let's give an example of that. If you're you know, 22, 23 years old and you're in your second job and, and, and you're wanting to grow your wealth and you've got a, a fairly tolerant attitude to risk, going into a bond fund or a cash fund is not the place for you. It's not going to give you what you want. And likewise, you know, if you're in that transition to retirement stage where you've built up your nest egg and you're starting to phase into assets that are perhaps less growth orientated and a little bit more conservative or more income producing, you know, being in a emerging markets equity plus uh, leveraged fund probably isn't the place for you either. So it's about being able to park where you should be in the right place. And again, having a conversation with one of our financial planning team is probably a good place to start because we can go through and part of our exploration uh, process, what's called a fact find, is to discover and, and, and oftentimes it's not just for us to discover, but it can often be for the investor to discover what actually is their attitude to risk. And, and this can vary within a relationship between a husband and wife. You could have you know, quite a, a reasonable age gap difference as I have with my wife. She's substantially younger than me. So as we both get older, um, you know, her risk profile and mine are going to change. And if you're managing a basket of assets, it needs to be something that's appropriate for both of you. These are all things that financial planners can help with. And we can certainly do that. You can reach out to us um, you know, via australianinvestmenteducation.com.au or via our social feeds. Uh, and we can set a time to, uh, to start this conversation running. And it's very, very hard to have this conversation one to many. We've got thousands of people watch this and, and, and consume this information. Everybody's set of circumstances is going to be unique, not just in terms of their attitude to risk, but what their expectations are for markets, how hands-on or hands-off they want to be and so on. And, and I think also looking at this, I mentioned that retail super will be a big beneficiary of this, this APRA report. 
but I also think the self-managed super industry will as well. Self-managed super is a brilliant asset class and it's one that seems to be out of reach for so many people, purely and simply because they don't know how much you need to get started realistically with a self-managed super. Because if you look online, you'll find it very hard to find. Have a chat with one of our financial planning team and we will give you the hard figure that we hold as a baseline, as a minimum to invest with, which is important to understand. It gives you some clarity. And if you've got more money than that in your super, the costs of running a self-managed super have come down quite considerably. It's much more cost-effective now. And past a certain flexion point of assets under management, it's a no-brainer to do that. You've got more control, more choice, and great asset protection. It's an intergenerational um, tool to have. Here's an interesting stat for you. The biggest self-managed super in Australia. You know, any idea what it is? $544 million. You know, so the big end of town use this as an asset protection tool. It's tax effective. So you know, for someone that's just started work, Retirement is super, it's boring. It seems so many million miles down the line. Why would you think about it now? It's something you do have to review because the sooner you get on it and the sooner you get it under control, the sooner you can get to retirement. Now, retirement isn't stopping work and getting ready to die. It's about buying your time back and being able to stop work and spend your time doing what you want to do. It's freedom day, not retirement day. And that's very, very important to understand as well. Yeah, it's some great points to make there, AB. And it poses... The overarching premise that we always stress is to be in control of your money. Now, one thing that you typically would advocate for most broadcasts, it wouldn't be a podcast without talking about the old famous date night with your money. Um, <laughs> the date night with your money may be a good place to, to review some of these things and investment decisions that you are making. To cap off our broadcast, AB, what's a date night with your money? And if you're talking about super, what should it include? Okay, so for, for many people, um, this review, when they receive the letter unsolicited in their post uh, from their super provider, they're going to go, oh, what's this? How come I didn't know about this before? And unfortunately, as I say, I've been a, an advocate for financial literacy and a, a leading exponent of that for a long, long time, over a couple of decades. And most people aren't necessarily aware of what their position is right now financially. And you could have the best roadmap in the world to get somewhere, but if you don't know where you're starting that journey, it, it becomes a very, very difficult process. So rather than look on the basis of getting this letter from your super provider once a year, one of the things that we actively encourage, as you rightly say, is something called date night. We cover this within our money and investing journal system. If you don't have one of our journals, find out how to get one. It's gonna help you really get your time under control and be clear on what you're trying to do. Um, specifically every month to sit down not with your money because it's an inanimate object, but look at where you are. How's the performance of your investment gone over that month? Have you saved uh, or have you spent more that's come in the door? Have you chipped down the mortgage? Have you got some money into your investing account? How do you trade to look over that period of time? What's been going on in your super? Uh, uh, you know, is your property tenanted? Are you going to do something to uh, maybe split the block to add some value to that asset? Whatever it may be, but regularly do this each and every month because the longer you leave it, the harder it might seem to get under control. It becomes just this insurmountable, massive ball of pain. Whereas if you look at it regularly, it's just little bite-sized chunks every month. You just chomp out another one, another one, another one. You get this whole thing on track. And that's how you become financially free. That's how you become financially uh, stress-free. It's how you get your investing under control. It's how you have a quality of life in retirement. And, and these moves by APRA, and I'm so, such a huge advocate for what's going on here, are fantastic. It is a name and shame, the people that are not delivering for their investors' future. And those investors, as I said right at the start, you could argue, and oftentimes are the most um, 
unsophisticated people in or, or the least sophisticated people in the marketplace. So they have been exploited to a large extent. This will light the candle under the industry. It is a game changer. And hopefully what it does from a financial literacy point of view for those million people that have been negatively impacted by their funds manager underperforming what is a pretty average benchmark, it's going to shape them into uh, action to say, this is not good enough. I could do this better, or I can find a place to get my money working harder for me. And that is a huge, huge move, which I see as being a massive positive for just about everybody. Nice one, AB. Great advice and even better commentary. I think that's a, a nice little ribbon to put around this episode. 13 out of 86 underperforming what is an average benchmark is staggering. $56 billion put to sleep on behalf of a million, I'm going to say this, unsuspecting investors that trusted somebody to do the job for them, and they haven't. Well, AB, all the more reason, reach out to our team, chat to our financial planning division. Hopefully we can uh, supersede those returns well and far beyond most people's expectations. Absolutely. Cheers, AB. Thanks very much. Anytime. Pleasure, Mitch. Thanks. There you have it, guys. Make sure you give us a review and a rating so we can help more people get this message, and we'll look forward to hosting you next week.